You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Reviews Daily Edition Radio Formula. On today's weekly interview, we dedicate this show to an artist who's entering a new phase of her musical career by flying solo after a promising start in the British music industry with her previous band Anteros. Since the pandemic, she's relocated back home to Barcelona and after a period of healing and searching, she's finally gotten her hunger back to perform, to sing, to make the kind of gorgeous pop music she's always dreamt of making since her childhood. Her name... Lala Hayden. You have just heard Slice, the first single from Lala Hayden, who debuts her solo career. As I said, after a wonderful uh, start in the rock and roll industry with Anteros. Uh, and we have her here in the studio. Just to give the listener some context, uh, Laura and I have a shared history of hosting MTV Spain together uh, more than a decade ago, interviewing our favorite bands, running around festivals. We had a great time. Uh, then uh, she moved to the UK where she eventually met Josh Rumble who became her musical partner first in the band uh, known as Faro and then they changed their name to Anteros. So uh, it's funny because she's a master of um, multimedia she's finding angles to to have uh, video footage because this woman is constantly on the go constantly creating. Um, My dear Laura welcome to Radio Primavera Sound to the weekly daily. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to have you here on a, a on a fresh Monday. This is this is like being back in back in the studios on MTV. I know. And the funniest thing is we've actually shown up wearing the same colours. I never wear navy blue, by the way. So this is really weird. What have you got against navy blue? I don't know. I'm more of like a black person. I'm like all like either all black or all pink. Like I think that's like my two modes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but today we've both shown up wearing pink tops. Pink tops and blue and blue slacks. And white sneakers. And white dad shoes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, uh-huh. yeah. It's like we've got our, 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 our old stylist, shout out to Yolanda, yeah. uh, in, in the background uh, dressing us up. Anyway, let's get into this. There's loads of stuff I want to cover. I mean, we've got an hour. I think, I hope it'll be enough. Um, as I said, when you moved to the UK to pursue your dream, uh, your lifelong dream of, yes. of becoming a, a musician and a pop star... You, uh, you, you, you met um, Josh uh, Rumble, mm-hmm. and who became your musical partner, and you wrote incredible uh, music with. Uh, what's it like making new music without such a close collaborator like Josh, who was there in the first stages of your career? Can I swear here? Yes, of it's course. Fucking terrifying. <laughs> How so? I mean, it was at the beginning, so I feel like. Um, and and I do think that this is like, it's not just a music thing. I do feel like this is, um, I feel like women were taught to like seek value in being good partners, wives, girlfriends, businesswomen. But I think we're always taught to like, I don't know. I felt like I, at least I had it ingrained in me that I wasn't good at, I had that like not enough feeling. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I needed to have like protection around me or I needed to have like someone to validate that. 
Yes. Um, in my 20s. That, that's 100% how it felt. I think I definitely struggled with imposter syndrome. Like, I mean, even when we were in television, like I was like, oh, I'm not good enough at this. It was always like that message of not enough was always really present. Yeah. And music is scary. Like, I think especially for a woman when I was starting out, which is like 10 years ago, like the amount of meetings that I went on that turned out to be dates initially when I was starting. Yeah. Like with producers, industry people, other mm. artists. And I felt like I needed that protection. And I felt like I would also be taken more seriously if they would have they they perceived like a man to be involved in the project. And I know that this is, you know, my projection onto it, but it definitely felt like that. And I think for me, it was that point that I needed to have that security around me. So because obviously, if I had someone coming in in with meetings, a guy coming into meetings with me, that would less would be less likely to happen. Yeah. Um. So when I started writing music, it was actually not um, intentional at all that it would be for a solo project. Like I started writing my. I started writing poems. So songwriting had always been uh, quite crazy for me because I'd always felt like that not enough message was still going, still going, still going. And then eventually in 2019, when the record came out, like it, writing became my salvation. Like writing definitely became like the thing that I would do to like quiet my mind. And I'd start writing poems and then go into the studio. And it was the first time I started going to the studio on my own. Uh, with a guy called Ben Christophers, who yes. then, you know, obviously we've gone on to write all of this. So Ben Christophers was in Bat for Lashes for a really long time. So Ben is this incredible human. He's toured with like Coldplay. He's, he's one of my favorite people in the world. And he is an amazing father, husband. He's very used to working with women. And I think it was very much like stepping in. I was like stepping into like this different universe that I hadn't encountered because it's not this not really the case in indie music that you get that yeah um even though i was the front woman of my band i would always be the i would always get asked last sometimes about a lot of things even though i'd been you know majority songwriter or like whatever so this was a very different environment to be in and ben definitely created a really safe bubble for me where i could just go in and write and at the time i was listening to a lot of kate bush and i was listening to a lot of like donna summer and this is before kate bush got the sync in stranger things yeah. this was like two years before and I was very much started embracing my femininity. It, I was turning 30 at the time as well. And I think I was very much looking to like escape this. I realized I'd listened to male artists and bands pretty much my whole life. Yeah. And I was very ready to step into this like different feminine energy moment in my life. So that happened three years ago. Um, and I had very clear that the project was going to be called Girl Becomes. Like I wanted this to be about womanhood. I wanted to sing in a much higher range. I wanted to embrace that very feminine side that I'd very much pushed away for quite a long time. What do you mean about singing in a higher range? Like higher octaves? Higher, higher... octaves, yeah. Like higher, I mean, the slice is quite, is a lot yeah. higher. Woman, which you've heard, is also a lot higher. Like this, this, this like I, it was a lot more. Like I said, Kate Bush. Like there was something that fascinated me about her, which the higher tones, like the very, very feminine, very like almost like squeakiness yes. of it. And I was really ready to embrace that and be like, yeah, I'm ready for like I'm ready to step into that and I'm ready to start exploring that and not just staying. And I used to think that you know I had to sing and like because obviously like in indie music, if it's mostly like men singing, it is lower. Yeah, so like I was like, the oh, national, no. like, ooh, you know, baritone and Yeah, moody. or like the killers or, and you know, like I was always saying, like, I want to be a, f f of the feminine version of the killers, you know, and, and I was very like, okay, yeah, it was a great part in my life, but what about just being me and embracing me? And I have all of these different octaves and ranges, so why am I not using them? Yeah, yeah. 
Fantastic. I mean, the, it is true that Slice has that, yeah, I, you know, I like it like this. You can, you can, I can almost see that, you know, like when you bite into a lemon, you know, it's, 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 it's a real pleasure kind of sort of singing back to it. Um, but it, it was, you, you said in the, in the press release, it talks about how turning 30 was quite a, a hard time for you. Uh, what was so bad about turning 30? I wouldn't say it was a bad thing. I mean, I think uh, there's this fascinating thing, and I'm going to go all woo-woo now, um, yeah. <laughs> in astrology. It's called Saturn Return. Have you yeah. heard about it? No. It happens around... I'm barely end. grappling what Mercury retrograde is all about, <laughs> you know, from listening to my colleagues here. So Saturn Return is... Uh, it ha usually happens around 27 to 29-ish. And uh, it's basically, you have this, I think it's what they now call, like we call a quarter-life crisis and like a midlife crisis, because it happens again around midlife. Yes. Um, and it, it's basically, I can only describe it, it's different for everyone, but I think it's this like need to like address like how you've been grappling with life and like maybe reassess like your relationships or the way you're showing up. And for me, and I didn't know this until years later, but I actually released my record the same month that my Saturn return happened. Ah, So I was in like, I don't know, I feel, and I don't know if you had this, but I feel like, so all my 20s, I was like, who do I want to be when I grow up? And all around 30, I was like, wait, who am I when I walk in through this door? Like, what do I represent as a woman? What does womanhood mean to me? You know, and I do think, you know, from a generation where I remember reading, like, I, I feel, I do feel like we've been very conditioned as women and men to think about women as well. Like, I remember we had like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie on the cover of magazines and like their size zero and like this whole heroin chic aesthetic. And like, those are things that we saw again and again and again and again. And like, aging was seen as bad or like, you know, you look at pop culture. And I do think pop culture definitely does impact, you know, people when they're growing up. And I think, you know, for me, I very much was grappling with how I felt in this world. I mean, everything felt really out of control with me. And I think with music, you you have to create from the heart. Yes. But then it's a product, yeah. you know? And yeah. it's, all of a sudden you go from, yeah, 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 make, make art from the heart. And then all of a sudden you get, it's like numbers and a product. And it's very much out of your control. And I think I had almost not enough message I meant that I put all of my worth in my work which meant that I put a lot of expectations behind it and I think uh, for me making a record had been my dream since I was a child and I'd finally after a really long time because it wasn't an easy thing you know it was a long time of like intense touring and like band life is not an easy life mm. um And it had all come to a cusp and I turned 30 and I just, it, it just exploded. I was like, wait, why does this not feel like I always thought like when I put a record out, I'm just going to feel amazing. I thought my life would be great and I wouldn't have to worry about anything else. And I realized actually, no, it's not what you're going to expect it to be. And yeah, it was almost that perfect storm of, of ingredients. So actually, now I look back on it and it was amazing. Like I wouldn't change it for the world because I realize that a lot of us go through the world, you know, with that. And I think, you know, again, our generation, it's like that girl boss mentality, that like hustle and work becomes like your value pretty much entirely. Yeah. And for me, I had to realize that I had to strip myself away from that in order to find me again. And what ended up happening is I'm me before I turned like 14, 15. I'm like that kid again. Like yeah. I love crystals and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sociable, but only around people that I really feel like I can trust. I don't know. I feel like I started shaking off that people liking me thing. Yeah. And I actually started worrying about liking myself. I mean, wh what were you when I met you? 19 uh, when you started NMTV? I was 21. You were 21, yeah. but you were already so much more mature. And obviously, <laughs> you, 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 know, you, you told me about your experience uh, being a model and, and living in Tokyo uh, for months uh, away from your family 
far, far away from your family, you know, and, and, and dealing with so many adults uh, as a professional being a teenager. So that, that reflects, and you're so way ahead. And even when I, whenever like girls your age, they come up to me like, oh, you know, Laura Hayden, you know, the, even girls from San Cugat who know you from like school <laughs> there, they, they talk about you like, wow, you're the, you're like a role model to so many girls who are your age or even a bit older than you and stuff. Well, don't you think it's funny because I was horribly bullied at school. Were you? Yeah, like really badly. And I think that again... What, because you were like half English in a Catalan school? Or <gasps> there was a lot lady? of things. Yeah, I think it was because... I was like, not the only blonde girl, but like there wasn't a lot of girls who looked like me at school. I also developed earlier than other people. And like, I don't know if it's still the case, but like it, at my age, like having boobs before anyone else is not a good thing. Yeah. So I had to like walk like all hunched over and guys liked me. And I, again, like that, I, I, I was very like, I guess, sexually free when I was younger. Like I didn't really like, I wanted to explore and like. Um, and I think that was, you know, again, perfect storm of ingredients, but I was really badly bullied. Like I had to change schools and yeah. And I, I do think that, uh, that it's funny now because I'm, I have like a really good girl group and I'm like a really good girlfriend, but mm -hmm. it's taken a long time for me to actually believe that. <laughs> Were you more comfortable? One of those girls that's more comfortable around boys and, and, mm. and, you know, like you, did you cope well with being like the only girl in a band with three other guys? That was, you know, it... Yes and no. I do feel like, and it's changing now so much and it's amazing. Like on this release, I've had so many other uh, female artists supporting the project and sending me messages and sharing it. And uh, But I do feel like 10 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. I do feel like, and again, it's really funny, like this, the slice thing, no? Like I feel like it's very much still quite a man's world in music. I still feel mm. like we are shaking that off. I feel like the perspective has only been told through a ma man's lens for a very long time. I mean, even with female artists it's usually like male producers or like you look at album credits and it's still mostly guys film credits still mostly guys yeah. boardrooms still mostly guys so it's only and they're the people that are approving these things and they're the people that are putting the money and funding you know and investing in certain artists so even women's stories have still been trolled through a man's eyes yeah and um i do feel like for me it was easy it was hard um coming into music because we you'd be you get this concept that you could there was only one slice and you had to share it between all of you. So I did feel like at the beginning when when I was starting, like it's still very much like, oh no, 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 like no one's sharing this pie. No one's sharing this slice. Now it's very different and I'm really happy. And it's like really lovely to see how like because that's how men have got ahead, right? Like men supporting men. And it's really beautiful to start seeing that. But I remember um, I was really excited. I won't say which artist because it's not her. But I remember there was this artist that I really wanted to go on tour with. And I was saying to my managers, I was like, I really, really want to go on tour with this artist. I was like, you're not going to get it. And I was like, why? And they're like, because you're prettier than her. They're not like her team are not going to have that. Yeah, that was when I was so. And, it, and they just said it like it was nothing. Damn it. Yeah. And they take the. Yeah. It just goes to show how. How toxically masculine uh, the industry is in that sense. I think it was. I think it's getting better now. But I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of reparation to be done. Yeah. And I hate that about um, the, the industry where sometimes the artist doesn't even hear about like 
a petition like for instance oh uh someone will call management like some rapper or some artist will want to uh, like oh i'd like to make a song with this person it's like mm, and and they will make the decision for the artist yeah based on their own interests it's like no nah, i don't think we'll get much money out of this or and i hate that because there's been so many you've you've heard of like so many missed opportunities of things that could have happened you know when when of artists collaborating and stuff but um going back to the the part of You've always been very savvy. It was you who turned me on to Instagram, Laura Hayden, <laughs> uh, all those years ago. I was reluctant. I was like, what's this Instagram thing? And you were like, mate, this is an, a really good tool for a professional who works with your image. You're a TV presenter, you know, and, and you convinced me. Thank you very much. I'm hooked now and, and addicted to Instagram. <laughs> Waste so many hours. No, I'm kidding. But um, you've always been very savvy using the tools and controlling your image But at the same time, I've read so many of your posts where you've dealt with a lot of the insecurities that come from overexposing yourself and 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 FOMO and being uh, being being so out there, shall we say? Mm-hmm. How are you dealing with it now? I mean, it's been so many years. You're a seasoned professional. You you know you know you you, you know how to use Instagram professionally mm-hmm. and even and make money off it. Uh, what's your relationship with social media now? Um. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's all—it's crazy that um, social media, like Instagram, has been around for lo- over 10 years now. And obviously I've had it for over 10 years. And so I'm not the same person that I was when I started that account. And, you know, I took a three-year break from music, really, from like going on stage. Like I needed that for my mental health. Um, and then again, coming back to, you know, turning 30. And like, for me, it was just, it's marked a, a new phase because I'm like, okay, who who what do I want to support and also thinking about you know if I ever if I ever do want to become a mother uh if I like what values do I want to what values do I want to represent um so I do feel like for me um this three-year break I mean I studied yoga meditation like I've done everything from like ayahuasca to like six-day silent retreats it's like I call it my eat pray move journey how did you manage six days without talking it was it was harder than ayahuasca (laughs) Seriously, seriously. Try and keep Laura shut up. So much so that I'm not allowed back. Like I called the people who put on the retreat. They're like, no, you can't come back. Why not? Because <laughs> I was a hot mess. Like if you hate your mind, like not hate your mind, but if, if you have a complicated relationship with your mind, it's really hard, like the hardest thing to do. Also, if you have a complicated relationship with yourself, if you don't, if that not not enough messages there, like you sit with that for six days. It was, I was a hot mess. I was like crying. I was like a mess, but I needed that. Like it was really cathartic for me. And I'm actually excited to do it again because, and, and actually if I could rule the world for a, a day, I'd probably make that, you know, mandatory. <laughs> Mandatory six days because it's six day silence and also sitting still. Is yes, that, is that you have to part? meditate for six hours a day. It's crazy and sit still and 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 the urge of like looking at your phone and and and. To be honest, I've I've got a lot better with my phone. Like I I actually like it's funny like this journey has been amazing. Like what I said, like I wouldn't change it for the world because I feel like coming to back to music now is so different to me from this mindset. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's maybe not a sense of like, I feel bad in a way that I did turn you on to Instagram. I think there's amazing opportunities <laughs> there. And I think it's a great tool for connection. But I do feel like, I don't know, it's interesting. Like I feel like now music or art, you have to be almost like a puppet, right? It's like you have to um, be constantly on social media, but also writing. But also, you know, like I think it is quite hard to be creative and on social media at the same time. Like I do find it really hard and I have ADHD. So like I have to be quite careful and, and set boundaries around that. Um, I do feel like I I did put a limit on like how much I was doing on Instagram uh, because 
like in terms of like collaborations and stuff because again like it's like how much do you want to sell you know like do you feel comfortable with that and for me it's like now morally it has to be like brands that I actually love and and it has to be stuff that I actually support whether that means that I lose followers gain followers I don't really mind anymore like I feel like now I, I know who I am I know my message I know how I want to make people feel and like something that I'm really proud of is like it's so interesting because I hear so many stories about people who have followers. I I have like maybe like 38,000 followers and there's no hate. Like I don't get any hate messages. I get love. I get support. And it feels really lovely to me that I've been able to actually cultivate like a following where that is the main thing in a time where social media can actually be quite not. To- I don't want to use the word toxic because I do feel like we're u- overusing that word. But, mm. you know, it can be quite, you know quite a war zone out there right now yeah. and everyone seems to have opinions and I feel like I'm quite proud of the fact that I've been able to do that um, about the fact that um, I've been able to go on this three year break which has been really weird because artists before you could go on a three year break and you could disappear from you know the, the earth and no one really, really would really know and I've really been like raw about it and I've made a point of doing that because I feel like and it's not like I want to show up crying all day and complaining because I feel like, again, being able to take a three-year break and come back from music is a privilege. Yeah, Being able to go on this like yogi woo-woo shit is a privilege. <laughs> like I'm aware, like I'm aware of how lucky I am, right, to have had the chance and opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, but I am really grateful for the environment that I've been able to cultivate and for the, also the relationship that I have with it. You know, I'm considering TikTok at the moment. I'm like, do I want to do that? How do I feel about it? Um, my my relationship with social media has changed because my relationship to my mental health has changed. Like I feel like up until 2020, like I was in reactive mode, like 24-7. I cared so much about what people thought of me. And now actually what's important to me is like, do I go? I had insomnia for like 10 years or like disordered eating for like my whole life. And I'm at a point now where like I go to sleep and I sleep well, you know, like I don't work out to lose anymore. I don't eat to lose anymore. I don't do everything in my life. I felt like up until 2020, everything that I did in my downtime was to disconnect. Yes. And now it's to connect. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes. Tell me about, I remember you telling me about the, the, the ugly part of success in the UK, right? You, you, <laughs> you know, Anteros was like really rising. Uh, you, you ticked so many boxes off uh, any kind of band's bucket list. But you told me that in the end, you were saying earlier, no, that uh, you get there and you release the album and it's like, ah, is that all there is? Like that famous uh, song. Uh, tell me, can, tell me about it. Why was why was it such a? That, did it feel such like such a negative experience at the time, without considering the pandemic and what that meant, mm-hmm. obviously, because that was shattering for so many bands. But uh, what was the sort of negative parts that sort of made you decide to take a break, a three year break? Um, well, I feel like I, I don't like calling things negative or positive anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. that's part of my like, my woo ness. But I feel like <laughs> some things either helpful or unhelpful. Like that's really helped me reframe things because I feel like even like things that we might perceive as negative are actually really help. You know, like it's only there where you grow, right? That's only the shit that makes you grow. Um, and I just feel like, and again, it's like I was saying the perfect storm. I, I do think with music and I, and it is, I think, with any arty career, you're always constantly focusing about what's next. I also think we live in an environment right now globally where we're always focusing on what's coming up next and not really enjoying what's happening in the present. And mm. even now it's funny coming back to music, like, we're talking about the next single, next music video, all of this. And I'm like, ooh, I need to actually make time in the day to enjoy where I am right now because I know what happens. Um, And I do feel like 
again, we have like the negativity bias, right? And this is not just a music, this is global. Like I think it's 80% of our thoughts are negative and repeat themselves. And most of them aren't even true. So already like you're set up in an, in an environment which is not conducive to you being present or staying in the, enjoying the moment. And I think for me, it was very much because it took so long to get there. I think it took us seven years to put the record out. And it had been all I'd wanted to do all my life. I just put a lot of expectation around it. And what we have, what we, what happened to us is like the cliche. And again, I think with music, especially right now with social media, people aren't very transparent or honest about like the realities of touring, like the fact that like for the first few years you're playing gigs and like you get paid in alcohol, you get paid in beers, you don't even get paid in a nourishing meal, let alone some money, you know? Like, so that so already that environment is kind of toxic already because yeah. alcohol is a known depressant. And don't get me wrong, I drink, but is like, do you know what I mean? Or you see yeah, what an artist... Yeah, and if you have to do that every night for like, you know, exactly, six weeks. Exactly. Or you see what an artist gets paid per stream, you know, all of the time that you invest in a studio or touring. And there's no guarantees. And fair enough, you know, it's the risk that you take. But I do think that it's not really conducive to positive mental health because... You know, any other job, you might, I always say, imagine you're opening like a cafe, right? Like imagine you, you decide to open a really nice cafe and you roast your own beans and you make all the signs and you make it look really lovely inside and you put your whole heart and soul into it. And then someone comes in, orders a coffee, you make it with all the love in the world and then you get like one cent and they leave. And that happens again and again and again. And it is constantly, it does feel like you're... You know, we look, especially now since like Brexit or, you know, a lot of things, COVID, it's, it's made touring way more expensive. Yeah. And that was the only way that artists would make money. There's so many artists that are burning out now because the only way they can make money to support their careers is through touring. But obviously, t extensive touring is can also be quite, un, you know, detrimental. Yeah. So I do think for me, it was like, I, I feel like I put a lot of expectation behind what the record would be. Our team got, f like the team that we signed to got fired halfway through us making the album. So that's already like crazy because the people that believed in you are no longer there. Damn it. And it was a very intense time. Then also, um, it was also combined with the fact that the managers that I had at the time, uh, now looking back, I think I have PTSD from that situation. I uh, won't go into it anymore. Uh, but, you know, and so I think that there was a lot of stuff and I think you'd constantly, you'd be, you'd be playing a show and you'd worry about the tickets that you hadn't sold. You know, like yeah. that would be it. Or you'd be playing a festival and worrying about what the next festival was and the next festival was and the next festival was. And we were ticking a lot of boxes, but I mean, ultimately, it really does depend on what you define as success. And I think, I feel that we've, as a society, defined success as fame, money, recognition, right? Those are the three mm. ingredients. And I'd been marching to the beat of that drum. And I realized actually success to me means living a life where like I don't want to numb every day when I get home right it means uh going to work in an environment it means working in an environment where you feel supported and you're not feeling gaslit all the time it means having a good relationship with my body it means having a good relationship with my family um so when when it came to that I was like actually maybe from the outside it looked great but we weren't making as much money as I wanted to be making and, and I and then you know that's so interesting you see artists that have billboards on Times Square and they're still working bar jobs to support them. So there's this like duality, right? Where like from the outside perspective, you're seen to be doing really well. Yeah. But from the inside, it's like, oh, like, you know, I, I so many uh, colleagues that like, hadn't had a, a holiday in a really long time or couldn't afford therapy or could barely afford their rent. And, yeah. you know, you also have to have a, a quality of life. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, sometimes I think like a keyboardist in a wedding band makes more money. Definitely. You know, and they play every weekend and they yeah. sleep in their house and, you know, just go down the road. And especially Definitely. here in Catalonia, which is like wedding capital, all these masias. 100%. <laughs> and a lot of artists, and it's interesting talking to a lot of, and I, th and I don't know with men so much, but with a lot of women, like how much they d depend on like, uh, like, spons like sponsorships of brands or like selling shit in order to make some money, you know? So that's yeah. also the other thing. It's like, are you comfortable with doing that? But also as an artist, is that well seen? You know, can you be, in, in inverted commas, like influencer and artist? Like, is that even a thing? Yeah. So there is a lot of, uh, lot of things. I, I do think it's changing now though. Um, and I think, I don't know. I think for me now, the difference is like, the goal is just to, I don't know, I think it's the message behind the music and like the, I'm like some of these songs I've been sitting on for three years, I never thought would see the light of day. Cause, so when I, for me, COVID, we, I decided to take a break from the band. We, as a band, we decided to take a break in 2020 because, well, first of all, my mental health was like not in a good place. And like mm -hmm. I said, I needed to sort of remove myself from everything that I'd been attaching my value to, to figure out who I was again. Um, so it was really good for us actually because it would have made a lot of bands went bankrupt during the pandemic because they'd already booked tours and stuff. Like luckily for us, that was really, really helpful. Luckily for all of us, we had houses to stay in and it meant, you know, we were okay. We had our basic needs covered. I had more than my basic needs covered. Um, but I stepped, so in in that break, I eventually lost my managers and it was not due to anything but a breakup. Um, so I was just like, I needed to take a break from that because it just didn't make any sense anymore for a while. But you have returned home to Barcelona. What's it like making music where you're close to your family, your <laughs> sister's involved, uh, Hannah's doing, uh, taking care of a lot of the visuals. She's a uh, very talented and accomplished photographer herself. And it's great that you've, you've got this family affair, you know, where you're, you're, you're giving her a, a bit of a boost in her career as well. What's it like? Yeah. What's the headspace like, the creative headspace like, knowing that you have all these more and plus Catalonia it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's sunny it's uh, you don't have the rain and the high expensive costs mm -hmm. of living in London you know yeah. what's it like it's amazing like honestly and, and a lot of the reason why this burnout must happened is because I felt so disconnected from my family I mean when you're playing when you're touring most of the gigs you play are at night or are at weekends so it means you miss out on Every, like a lot that happens around you and it's in I was talking to a friend of mine um she's in a band and we were saying like actually do you think you'd be in music if if like you'd had like a really wholesome teen years and uh, we both agreed no we both agreed like there has to be a part of you that loves to torture yourself and I do feel like for me um my parents got divorced when I was 17 and it was really tricky for a really long time um I think uh, divorce is easy, getting easier now because there's more information out there but I think you know it was at a time where like I had all of my own issues my parents had their issues and it was it was really hard for me for a really long time my father married someone who was a lot younger I love her now but it it was really hard like it was a really weird family dynamic and I felt very disconnected my, from my family for a very long time and I knew that part of me taking this break would mean me having to repair a lot of my relationship with my parents and, I, and again I think a lot I see this a lot with friends who are in their 20s it's like I think in your 20s and maybe you'll agree with me on this there's like this deep desire to like change your parents and the more you fight that you know instead of just accepting and embracing and loving them mm. and understanding that unconditional love um, and understanding but also taking that ownership over what that's caused in you that's really been amazing um, and part of me coming back has been me repairing a lot of my relationship with my family to the point where now I feel like I have a really, really, really solid base. And it's very different to be making music from knowing that, you know, you, your family has your back. Like my yeah. father, 
Um, and it's obviously weird because they were living in Barcelona and um, my music was coming out in the UK. So they never really saw it until like the very end, like until we were playing the big shows. But I kind of missed having them there when I was playing to like no people. Yeah. Um, but now like my dad was up at midnight and he messaged me just to listen to the song at midnight. And it, it feels really lovely. It feels really lovely to have my sister closer to me. I have one sister in London. I kind of wish she was back here. But mm -hmm. having that base around you is so important. Yeah. Um, and again, my in my 20s, I was just like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I don't need a solid family base. You know, if I my music is fine or if I'm hash <laughs> hashtag successful. No, inverted commas, successful. I won't need any of that. And it's definitely been the breaking down of that and understanding that that is the one of the most important pillars no matter what yeah family family first just wholeness like i feel like we've i feel like we've lost that sense of wholeness really you know like we've lost that sense of wholeness i feel like we put all of our, and now even like it's maybe everything in like our work or just our relationship and actually we need all of the ingredients to actually make us feel like you know even to be part of a community yeah. You know, and, and that's what saved me. I remember when we, um, the last days of the band, it's really interesting. We got a message on the last day of tour um, to be in a Netflix film, to be in the Eurovision. In the uh, Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I mean, that's a hell of a bucket list. I mean, that's, <laughs> first of all, it's totally unexpected. You're in a movie with Will Ferrell and it's a, effing great movie yeah. I loved Eurovision it, officially it's called Eurovision the Eurovision Song Contest yep. no, with Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams Rachel McAdams the original the OG Mean Girl damn it so, uh, uh, Fetch uh, stop making Fetch making Fetch a thing uh, Mean Girl <laughs> damn it uh, what was her name in, Fe in Mean Girls Regina George. Regina George. You were in a movie with Regina George. I mean, come on. How was, first of all, let's go through the exciting part of that. When you found out that you were going to be in that movie. I thought it was, I, so, okay. So we got an email about this and um, we were on our way to play at the last festival of the season. And, and I, I don't know if it's the same for you when, because obviously you're freelance, you do a lot of gigs, yeah. but when there's nothing in the diary, it's fucking scary. Yeah. And we had just come off the whirlwind tour. We'd gone on like back-to-back -back tours, then straight into festival season. On the last, there was nothing else in the diary. I was freaking out, you know, because all my value was there. Um, and instead of taking holiday. And we get an, and we get an email saying that they, you know, they want us to be in the film. And I, you know, coming from like a background in like fashion or TV, I was like, oh, this is going to be an audition. Like it's going to, I'm like, I don't think it's, I didn't see it as like, I didn't realize that they wanted us to be in the film, us to be in the film. I thought they would, uh, they'd ask loads of other artists and we'd have to audition. So we got the email and I start laughing. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. But I didn't take it seriously. And then the following week we get an email confirming dates, contracts and like shoot dates. And I'm like, but then it was like, oh, it's gonna be, you know, like we're gonna be in a, we're gonna be, you know, lumped with everybody. Like I again, like you don't see. I honestly, like I did not think. And then all of a sudden, we get there on shoot day, and like I have my own trailer. I'm getting my makeup done next to Rachel McAdams. I've Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell on either side of me. We have like I have this like crazy wardrobe. Like it was, it was surreal, but it's also terrifying, right? Because you're like, and again, it's just again this like bucket list thing. But I also knew again, there's nothing in the diary after this, you know. Oh, the, yeah, you're not enjoying the moment because no. you're like, oh, because you're horrible. like, but wait, then you have to, and like the movie's gonna take ages, and like, what if they cut the scene? <laughs> you know, there's you know, there's so much stuff behind this because they did. There's another band that did it, and they the band didn't make it into the movie. Oh, that's heartbreaking <laughs> when um, you get left on the cutting floor. What what I loved is David, the director, is such a big music fan, and he loved the band, and he he was like, I remember him coming up to me, he says, "You got loads of screen time yeah. with your song." But you know our song, you know our song is the only song on the soundtrack that wasn't written for the film, and the soundtrack was nominated for a, a, a Oscar, moon. I think Oscar or Grammy. Yeah. Or so like. 
it, like crazy, right? Like crazy. But, you know, it's so funny because the film came out during the pandemic. So, like, they didn't get as many. I don't, you know. What? Like, More people, were, everyone was watching I Netflix during the pandemic. Everyone was, saw that movie. Do you think so? I it don't know. did really well. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the stats, but I watched it as soon as it came out. And I loved it because it had a lot yeah. of heart in it because yeah. everyone thought it was going to be like a parody of Eurovision. And it's actually got a lot of soap because Will yeah. Ferrell, obviously, his wife and, is Swedish and, 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 and he's really, like, he really genuinely loves and respects yeah. the Eurovision Song Contest. By the way, would you have um, contested in, in the real life Eurovision with Anteros? Um, what do you think of it? We never really thought about it. I think it's again, it's funny, like the UK indie scene is like, you know, don't sell out. Don't, I don't know. Honestly, like it's interesting. I don't know. If, maybe now I would because now I just want to have fun and I want to have a good time. And again, I just want as many people dancing as possible. Like whether that's to my song or someone else's, I just want people to be happy. Yeah. Uh, like f or feel joy. Yeah. I'd, I'd say maybe not happy, uh, but I'd say definitely feel joy. And if that's through my music, well, great. And again, I think now making music, I'm like that's all I want to do. It's like I just wanted, I just want to release. You know, like um, animals, they shake off like trauma or they shake off like um, ha like inverted commas, like negative things that experiences that they've had through their body. And I feel like you look at how we live life most of the time now. It's just sat. So yeah. I just want to get people moving and moving racing. and dancing. And I, I feel like like the live aspect of it is like therapy. And again, like performing um, Full Moon, when we did that in the film, it was like dancing. And like, it was so funny. David, the director, came up to us and said, he was like, well, I either copied what you guys have done or I asked you guys to be in the film. And I'm happy that you said yes. So it was great to be on that stage. And what was really funny is how, how like crazy shit felt because I was barely eating. It was a time in my life, again, where my whole surroundings felt so out of control. My... Mm -hmm. Disordered eating was like at its highest point. I was tiny, um, so you are not thinking straight if you're not if you're not feeding your brain. You're not thinking straight. It it's literally like that. So again, probably why I was also so fucking depressed, right? Because I mm. was starving myself, um, and I, and we had nothing in the diary, and there's that constant fear of what's next, and there's nothing there. And so I realized, like again, I felt really alone. I felt very isolated um, in London. Like I didn't feel like I had a sense of community. And the one thing that really got me through and and started my journey towards better mental health was actually like uh, I volunteered at my local charity shop. Sweet. Because I knew I had to balance things out. I was like bitch, you can't be sitting in a trailer next to Rachel McAdams and and not go the other way and actually do something that gives back and adds value to mm -hmm. people's lives in a meaning meaningful way, at least what felt meaningful to me. Um, and so it was really funny. In mornings, I'd go and like, I'd get my, I'd, we'd do the film and then in the evenings or in the afternoons, I'd show up and we'd, I'd, you know, I'd be volunteering and working on the shop floor at the, the local charity shop. And that is really what made me feel like I started to be part of again. And I realized how important it is to be a part of something again, you know? And it's interesting in, a, in an era of like social media where we're technically more connected than ever, but people feel lonelier than ever. You know, I think the sense of community is slowly going and I, I really, really, really seek to create, again, that strong sense of community and be a part of a community. Yeah, I'd say one of your sort of uh, traits as an artist and because uh, I read something you said back in an interview with Anteros and you said, we love to disguise sadness behind happy songs. And that's something that happens even on, you know, Slice, it's super cheery and you're singing in a high pitch, which you, you would associate with a state of joy. But last night you posted on Instagram how Slice is a song that's born from anger. Yes. Tell me about that. Well, I'm calling this era my crazy bitch era. Uh -huh. When we started... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I am because everyone's scared of the crazy bitch, right? Like everyone is, everyone, um, everyone is scared of like the hot potato, you know, like don't, don't, you know, don't disturb the beast. And I think for a really long time, I was really scared of being the beast, you know. And now, um, I, I think with music again, like I love, like I love, 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 love uh, dance. Not dancing, like you know, dance, sexy dancing. I'm more of a weirdo dancer, but I, I love um, the concept of hearing a song. That's like small town boy, for example, right? Yeah. By is that Bronski beat? Yeah. It's like a really like quite a sad song, but it's like again, like you can dance to it, and there's just something beautiful about that release. Um, and I think with with this e with what the EP that I've been making, like I'm very much it's again that duality. It's like yeah, but but there's something beautiful about that. Right. And it's, you know, the even better thing is that I get to like, when you get to perform that on stage, it just turns into like this really cathartic healing moment. Um, and I think with Slice, like, I wanted to be that crazy bitch. Like, I wanted to be that mad, angry woman that society so often, you know, pushes away or rejects. Like, oh no, like, don't, you know, don't go near her. Like, I want to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, I really want to make people feel like that now. Yeah. Because um, I think there's something so beautiful in there. And I do think, and I do see it now, like, this good need to be liked or good girl, like I definitely like, and it, maybe it's just for me, but if I can make one or two people feel like a bit of that release and freedom, because we are all of our parts, right? You can be crazy one day, you can be super chill and inverted commas good another day. But I do feel like we've been neglecting parts of us. At least for me, I'd been neglecting parts of myself for a really long time. That I'm very, very excited to be stepping into right now and embracing. And the thing is, the less I push them away the less they appear. You know what I mean? Because they're just a part of me and like they just fluctuate. It's when I said earlier, like I don't believe in things being bad or good. It's like, it just is, man. You know, like it just is. And the the more, and, and you think about how we were raised as kids, right? Like when you would cry, when you'd feel like a inverted commas negative emotion, like it'd get pushed down and be like, don't cry, don't be mad. Like have a sweet, have this. And so what we've learned how to do now it's just when those uncomfortable feelings come up, we just like, we numb them out, right? Yeah. When actually sometimes all you have to do is just feel them. Maybe all you just need to do is cry or yell or scream. Like maybe that's, and once you let it out, it's out. It's funny because it's still a stigma, isn't it? Like if you want to cry, you're still going to hide, right? Because yeah. you don't want, you don't want to bother people and like, no, you, you you kind of feel embarrassed about receiving the attention and people, oh, I get the pass out, what's wrong? And they're like, no, 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 it's all right. Or even something silly like when you when you fall or hit yeah. your, you know, uh, trip or something, you're in agony and you're like, ha, 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 laughing enough, like, don't worry about me. <laughs> and you're like, ah. Yeah. And I think there's some emotions as well. It's interesting. I feel like men uh, for a very long time have allowed to be angry and inverted commas, crazy bitch. They yeah. had been, they've been, gl not glorified, but they have been able to have that attitude. Yeah. And but not had access maybe to crying and that vulnerability. And women, it's been the other way. It's like, oh no, you're expected to cry and be vulnerable, but you're not expected to be angry or, yeah, you know. You look at how um, uh, in breaking down like my whole, you know, my relationship with my body and my relationship to food, which I think your relationship with that can be applied to your relationship with anything, right? That's the thing. It's mirrored in everything in your life. Um, was realizing like, you look at how we've been marketed like uh, food or training. It's like, for a very long time, like women have been eating to lose and training to lose. How are you ever going to win hmm. when your whole goal behind it is to lose, right? Men, it's like gains, win. Like, so let's start, re like, let's start finding a bit of balance here. Let's start making space for men to be vulnerable and crying to be okay. Because it's just an emotion.
Yeah. It's just a thing that maybe needs to come out instead yeah. of keeping it bottled in. And for me very much right now, like in making this music, it just feels like cathartic. It just feels like a really cathartic process in which... Um, I'm just allowing myself to be me, to be angry if I want to be angry, to be happy if I want to be angry, to be feminine if I want to be, to be masculine and just embracing all of those parts without it having to be like a tagline. I know what you mean. Tell me more about what's going to be on the EP. Uh, what? How many songs in total? I think we're looking at... <laughs> still debating. I think it's going to be six songs on the EP. Lovely. Good, yes. good, good. And uh, I'm amazed. I mean, you've got some very incredible... I mean, you've mentioned Ben Christophers, who was in Bat for Lashes, Alien Cocker, uh, Tim James Allen, who's pr produced Portishead, uh, among other things, and Matt Colton, who's uh, ma who's done mastering work for Dua Lipa, James Blake, Arctic Monkeys. How'd you get these people on board? I mean, how, was it like connections that you had from your Anteros days? No, it's honestly, it's been like... Well, I mean, Ben and I started writing. It's just crazy how things have happened. Like, honestly, like when I say crazy, like six months ago, this wasn't happening. Six months ago, I was like, um, when I when I lost my manager, when my managers and I parted ways, I definitely felt, because I'd come off of the back of a really, like I'd broken up with my partner of four years, like who I thought, you know, was going to be the one and all of those things. And I, I felt very vulnerable. It was mid-pandemic. I decided to move back to Barcelona because I wanted to heal that relationship with my family, heal myself, my relationship to myself with and all of these parts. And um, stepping away from my relationship was not an easy thing. It was a very hard thing because I realized that like I just couldn't help that person anymore. Mm. But I didn't want that to be the, the case. You know, I would have stayed. But Uh, my managers represented both of us, but I didn't meet them through my partner. There was no like, is it nepotism? No, nepotism was when you're kids, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and chufismo in Spain. Yeah. Well, that's also, yeah, no, like, I know what you mean. Like, uh, it wasn't that we started dating and then I got managers. No, no, my managers managed me for a very long time. In fact, like they were kind of like the father figures because, you know, they were dads. Um, and, and, um, for me stepping away that relationship was really heartbreaking for me and then them choosing him and leaving me mm. Ooh. felt like genuinely it's hard to even say it out loud again it's like embracing this emotion right it's like it felt really bad like I felt like I would kind of been abandoned because I wasn't a guy Yeah, you know and I felt like that boys club happening again so I was like fine fuck this if no one wants to listen to this. I was like, I was definitely not strong enough to like start knocking on doors. I was like, this is not, I'm, I'm like, just take a break. This was, yeah. that for me was a big sign to take a break. And I had all of this music and uh, I had to, I just focused on healing and adding value. Like I started working, I started coaching women, working with women through, who were going through a similar situations to me. I did my meditation training, my yoga training. So I just thought that that, because all I want to do at the end of the day is add value to this world. Like if, if I can make a difference in one person, that's all I, I was like, fine. And you know, you can do that through music, but there's so many other ways you can do that. So I, would, I was like, you know, whilst I heal, like I'm just going to be of service, help other people. And then we'll see what happens. And um, Paola, who's managing me, she called me about six months ago. She wanted to hear the demos. And I just started laughing because I was like, it's fine, yes. I just sent the demos over to her. And she was like, do you have a concept for all of this? And I said, yes. And um, she was like, why is this not happening? I was like, honestly, like I don't have a team and like I don't, like, I don't want to start knocking on doors for funding. She goes, I have both. Let's make it happen. And that was literally from one day to another, I was making music, like music was happening again. Yeah. Um, and I had messaged Ben like 
two weeks before Paola messaged you. I wanted to put this music out for a really long time because, uh, you know, I was writing new music and I was sitting on these demos and I, I was still really passionate about the songs. Every time I listened to songs, I was like, fuck, this needs to come out. Like, Also, it just feels like um, stuff that you keep, like, you know, clothes that you don't use anymore. You know, when you get rid of them, it feels really good because you've just made space. Like, I feel like I needed to make space. Yeah. Um, and we, so I reached out to Ben two weeks before Paula um, and I started working to her. I was like, Ben, like, I, I want to make the CP happen. Like, tell me how much it's going to cost me and I'll figure out a way. And I just didn't, I got the information and I, I was like, okay, I'll, and I just, I guess I just put it out there. And then two weeks later, Paul and I were making music again and the EP was happening. And within a month of speaking to Ben, I was in London, we were recording again. And uh, Tim is friends with Ben, so, you know, passed the song on. It's Honestly, it's crazy after so many years with, with Antaros, you know, it was so, it was always like a slug. It was always felt like we were banging ahead against our wall. Mm. Our wall, a wall. Um, and for this, it's just been, it's just flowing. It's flowing and it's really nice because um, I think it's just changing the narrative, right? Of like, there's this idea that everything has to be hard work all the time. It's like, actually, you know, put your intention right, get your intention right, get your energy right, get your your life right and things will sort of start, you know, if you do the work. Yeah. I mean, some people think this might be boring talk, but what studio have you've been recording your vocals and stuff here and then sending stuff over to the no, UK? So I've been going between UK and here. So I've been recording some of the tracks I've done here with Adian and some of the tracks I've been doing in the UK with Ben. Um, I've been traveling. Oh, so you've been fro. back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Been, and that would be how I'd like to live my life. Like to and fro. Like Barcelona is a great base, but I love going back to the UK. I ah. love. I love going back to the UK. I think might be going out to LA soon as well. So Ooh. like, yeah. So like. How did that feel going back to the UK with this transformation when you'd left UK, you yeah. left in a dark place, all of a sudden coming back and working with these incredibly talented uh, producers and stuff and like igniting this new phase mm -hmm. of your career. How did that feel stepping down in Heathrow or Stansted or whatever? It feels really good. <laughs> it feels really good. Like I said, it feels really, um, it feels like a very empowering for yeah. sure. It feels, I was nervous about the first time going into the studio when, when we went into actually start recording some of the songs and going in. On my own, I was terrified the days before. I was like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do this? And I went in and just, it's like something unlocked. It was, it was been awesome. Like, and just having that space where you're allowed to play and feel safe, like Ben and Adrian have created such a safe and awesome environment um, where you don't feel like, you know, you feel like your opinion matters just as much. And I'm not scared of seeming brash. I'm not scared of speaking up or saying what how I feel or, you know, like in the slice we had to... <laughs> We had to record snares and we weren't finding any good snares. Like, dude, we should just use my ass. And it's the first thing I recorded being back in the studio after like three years. The first thing I recorded was like my ass. And I was like, what, this like is slap great. ass? Like you like slapped just, your. Yeah, just because we were looking for good snare sounds and we're just banging on different things in the studio and like we needed something to double the snare. <laughs> and it just sounded great. And, and, you know, it's just things like that. It's like not being scared. And it's like, I'm really happy because I get to be a kid again. Like when I'm in the studio, I get to like that inner child comes out, like little Laura comes out and she's allowed to play and have fun, yeah. but she's an adult, you know, and she knows her shit now. Um, I think also I, the importance of developing, you know, good habits. I think it's so interesting when, um, when we hear like artists who have succeeded inverted commas or like who are seen to have succeeded how they'll start like talking about meditation or like all of this 
stuff and mm. people like oh they've gone like we were but actually like there's a reason why you need that you need the balance right because music art is ego and ego is you know it, i think it's been getting a, a a bad rep lately ego is not a bad thing it's just when your ego's out of control so you've got to do other shit to balance it out right and stay grounded and 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 stay true to what your purpose is because again in music i think it's so easy to listen to the outside noise to want to be all of the things or to start comparing yourself to other artists or start to, you know, and, and, and I think it is really important to come back to you, to come back to your inner voice and, and stay on track and stay on that message. What, who's going to be playing with you live? Like, are you going to have a band of musicians backing you? We're, so, we're working through that at the moment. There's a couple of options. I quite like the the idea of, and just because I know how hard it is to tour with a lot of musicians, like yeah. in terms of like in terms of touring. And when you're starting out, you have to be careful with how much money you're spending on touring. I'd quite like the idea of track for this for for this for this project I think there'd be something quite tongue in cheek something quite fun I think it's so funny now because you know and I know you hear about so many you know there's so many so much track on a lot of music these days I mean it's rare if there is nothing on track um, and that you know, I mean, you even have auto tune now, like live auto tune. So yeah, your vocals sound, yeah. Yep. Um, so, and I think it's quite funny that we're all still like, yeah, yeah, but there's all these instruments on stage, and it's like, well, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, did you go see Rosalia in San Jordi? No, I didn't actually. I've, I think I, I, I saw her. Was it Primavera she played last year? 2019, and she's headlining this year. Uh, because a lot was written about, oh, you know, she's got this show, but there's no musicians on stage. And, and it's, and, well, Tyler, the creator, doesn't have any musicians on stage. ASAP Rocky doesn't have musicians on stage. It's backing track. Mm -hmm. and But it's a new form of uh, live show. performance and show. And obviously there's the screens and stuff. Are you into that? That kind of the, the, the playing with multimedia? I mean, if, if I could have my way, I'd have like a million musicians on stage. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it would all be, but that isn't the case anymore. And I think that also after so many years of being in a band it would be quite be really nice to just have one person on stage and track and because I think again there's this idea of like um it's how are you combining the new and the old technologies right it's like how are you making that happen and I think for me at this point like maybe it would be really fun and and quite empowering for me actually to stand on that stage and claim it for my own you know yeah like I think that could be really fun but could it be daunting like you alone <laughs> for like an hour on the stage and if you know if all of a sudden I don't know the track skips and stuff it's like have you got your little tricks in your sleeve to I mean banter I think <laughs> tell good jokes as you know I tell really bad jokes no I do I don't feel scared about it you know the live aspect is the one thing that doesn't scare me because it's the one thing that we did so often and it's the one thing that I know that I can do like I was probably more scared about recording like my higher vocals um than I have been about the live show. Like I'm, uh, it's not that I'm, I, I want to blow my own horn. Like I, but I do know that I can. Like I think if you can tour in an indie band and play gig after gig after gig after gig after gig after gig, it does set you up. I think it's like ten thousand hours you need, isn't it, until you can master something. Um, but I don't feel scared about the live show at all. Like like not at all. And just because I trust myself on the stage, yeah. but also I trust my message. You know, and my intention, like my intention is not, um, I don't know, my intention is to make people feel good within themselves. And I and I think, you know, if your intention, if the intention is there, like the energy, like woo-woo again, right? But it flows. <laughs> it really does. And that's been the case with this project, Girl Becomes, and that's been like what the difference has been right now is like, I feel strong in myself and, and, and I trust myself to do the live show. And also I'm dying for it. Like I'm so excited. I've never played Barcelona. It's, it was the one 
We've played South by Southwest. We've played Glastonbury. Never played Barcelona. We played BBK, played Madrid. Never played Barcelona. Your hometown. Never played my hometown. Never played Primavera Sound either. Just putting it out there. Uh-huh. You know, manifest, manifesting, um, but um, but never, but but it's the one place that I'm dying to play, and and I'm really excited for it. And there's like we've started. I think we go into rehearsals next week. So, would you play any Antero songs? Mm, I don't think right now, but it's not for any reason. I think it's just because like, they're your songs as well. Yeah, as, they're as my songs, a hundred percent. But I do feel like I don't know. I don't. Maybe eventually, maybe in a year from now, maybe I'd be happy to play them. But right now, I think I just want to play the new stuff. Like I said, it's crazy bitch era. It's not people pleasing era. It's yeah. crazy bitch era. Yeah. So like I want it to be, you know, I want it to be me and I want to feel like it's okay to just be me because I feel like after so long of trying to be other people, like my one thing now that I'm coming back to is like, is this me? Yeah. If the answer is yes, I'm all in. We've only got v- uh, barely two minutes left, Laura. Uh, th- this is dangerous. When you give a music journalist uh, a track that, an unreleased track... <laughs> It's very it's very hard not to give in to the temptation to play just a snippet. Your management is here. Can we play? I mean, I've Slice is a is a is is a hell of a tune, but Woman will that be the forthcoming single? Yes, it will. That is a f- certified <laughs> banger. That is like I'm I DJ and I'm definitely like DJing that soon as soon as you give me permission. Can we play a snippet of that just to? And talk over it to uh, you know like they do to if if you know so no one rips it or whatever before. Yeah, uh, yeah, let's play it. Why not? We have uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, we are finishing our wonderful interview with Lala Hayden with an exclusive snippet of her forthcoming single "Woman" that she'll be included on her debut EP, uh, which is going to be titled "Girl Becomes." And it's uh, which is going to be out on the 19th of May on Loop Records. Listen to this banger. Thank you, Laura. It's been a great, great time to have you here with me. Thank you, Johan. Congratulations. You're on fire, girl. You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra.